All right, so uh, we are continuing our series called The Good Initiative. Hey, what is next weekend? What is it? (laughs) Commitment weekend, that's right, commitment weekend. After all of this time of praying and asking God what you want us to do, next weekend we're gonna have the opportunity to give. And I'm gonna ask every single one of you to be here no matter what. As much as you can make that happen, if you're in the state, be here next weekend, okay? Okay. We're gonna do that together and I'm so excited to see what God is going to do through that whole process. Well, let's dive in. We've been looking at chapters eight and chapters nine of the second Corinthians, talking through this idea of generosity and what it looks like for our lives. I'm gonna read verses 12, 13, 14, and 15 and then we're gonna walk back through them with greater detail. Let's read it. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be financial equality. At the present time, your plenty, that's your wealth, will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty, their supply, their wealth will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have much to do or did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. All right, let's go to verse 12 and take a look at that. Verse 12 starts off with the phrase, for if the willingness is there, And guys, this is the heart of what we've been talking about over the last seven weeks. The heart is, first and foremost, that we would have 100% engagement in this process. And why would we want to do that? Well, first of all, the primary goal is 100% engagement because we want everybody to have the opportunity to serve the Lord in the means of generosity, to be part of what God is building here. Not to stand in the background and go, I'm not sure, I'm not not ready, whatever whatever it is, that's a hardship, that's a challenge. We got to overcome those things for sure. But we want you to be ready. But look at this. For if the willingness is there, right? So that you have to be willing, right? Now, I had a conversation with a guy this last week, and, he's, and it's, I know this guy really well, and he gives to the church. He's faithful as, with his resources and all of that. He said, Pastor Mike, you preached on a, a message just two weeks ago, and you said, God loves a cheerful giver. He's like, I totally get the idea that we are supposed to be you know, and it's our responsibility to be giving to the church and making things happen. The church can't run without resources. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. He said, but cheerfully? He's like, like, what does that mean? And so I went back and I looked in the original language and that, and the concept of cheerfulness means so much more than just, you know, you're really excited. Uh, there are some of you who are super excited. I have the gift of teaching and giving. I love those two things. They are really on my heart. So for me, I love giving. I love seeing resources employed in ways that will help change people's lives. I love that. But for others, that may not be your necessary gift. So when you look at the concept of God loves a cheerful giver, what the actual text originally meant was this, for God loves a giver at the ready. That's what it means. For God loves a giver at the ready. In other words, someone who is willing to be there, someone who's willing to go there. Last week, we talked about the idea that God wants us to be ready in every season, in and out of season. He wants you to be ready for all circumstances. And then last week, we looked at this idea called margin, right? And we talked about the fact that God wants you to have margin in your life in all kinds of different ways. You're supposed to have some margin and we define margin as the distance between. And so margin in your life means that in your time, your schedule is not just scheduled to every day, every day to the hour, to the minute, to the second. You need to have some free time, some time to be with your family, some margin. And then we also applied that financially. And what we said was, there's earning and spending, right? And so if you earn here, the tendency of most Americans is that over time, and what we said was, if we all kind of start out here, right? Over time, what happens is 
a little bit by little bit, your income goes up over time. In any given 10-year period of time, you can probably look back and say, oh yeah, things came up. But because we're all kind of trained because we're Americans, we have different socioeconomic backgrounds in the room. We have different races in the room. We have different histories personally, but we're all Americans. And one of the things that's true is that we're kind of taught that when your earnings go up, so should your expenses, right? In other words, every time your earnings go up, your expenses chase it. And what happens is when your earnings and your, 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 uh, your expenses are exactly the same, you have no margin whatsoever. And so for you, and it doesn't matter, watch this, it doesn't matter if you have $20,000 a year, $100,000 a year, $300,000 a year, or $10 million a year, you're still no margin if you're spending everything that you gave, everything that comes in. And so I want you to think about that in terms of kind of what we're talking about right now. The willingness, the, the heart that's at the ready, you can only be ready if you've been responsible. And I want to talk to you about that if you're young in the room, because we always have a lot of young people that, that are in their young 20s and, and, and younger than that and 30s. You're just kind of starting out in all this stuff. If you create margin in your life, it will go better for you financially long-term period. Because we know just from statistics that nationally, most people are spending every single dollar that they have. What that means is that when the refrigerator breaks or you need a new roof or something happens like a big a giant car problem, you're gonna be stressed out and worried. I don't believe that's how God wants his people to live. I really don't. I believe that God wants you to have some margin in your life, right? Where you don't have to worry about it. You know, the refrigerator is gonna go out one day, period. God didn't make those to last forever, right? And so what happens is when, you, when that happens, you can write the check and go, there it goes, man, no problem. We're able to do it. Why? Because you have margin. You got some space between your expenses and, and your income, your expenses and your income, right? So our job is to be, at the ready, to be willing to give, right? And look what it says here. If you are willing and if you are at the ready, this is what it says, the gift is acceptable. That means whatever you decide with the Lord after you've done business and ask the Lord what to do, that gift will be acceptable. He'll look at that and he'll go, well done. For if the willingness is is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. So what Paul does right here is really awesome. What he's basically saying is your giving is based on what you have, not on what you don't have. So for some of you, God's just blessed you like crazy. So bless the church like crazy. He's been generous with you, then be generous. But watch this, flip it around. If, if you don't have a whole lot, I mean, not ever, there'll always be some people who have more and some people who have less. That's always the case. And Jesus himself said, the poor will always be among you. They're never gonna go away. They're never gonna solve that problem, Jesus said. Watch this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So what that means is if you don't have a whole lot, then you give according to what you have, not what you don't have. And then you don't worry about it because it's acceptable to Jesus. It's never been a competition. It's never a comparison game that we play with one another when it comes to resources. Now, I know some guys in the church that know each other really well. They're like brothers, the guys who put up these chairs and stuff. Those guys are like brothers. And I've seen these guys actually like coaches with one another challenge each other. I know that you can do better than that. I know that you can do better than that, right? But we never do that in a fear-based competition. That's why our number one goal is 100% participation because whether you have a lot or you have little, you can sacrifice and you can be a part of it. There's a lady in our church. She's a widow, and I love her. She's, we've helped her throughout the years just kind of get by. And uh, she works, and she's got her whole thing r- rolling, but every once in a while just finds herself in trouble, and the church has stepped up to her. And uh, 
the other day she gave her pledge. And it's, it's, it's not, I mean, overall, it's not a ton of money, but it was beautiful sacrifice on her part. She is all in in what she's doing and she's trusting Jesus to provide for her. And I thought that was just the most beautiful thing. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. It's acceptable to Jesus according to what you have, not what you don't have. So don't worry about it if you don't have a giant piece that everybody else has. Not everybody has equal in this way. So if you struggle, then don't compare yourself to someone else. Comparison's always a fool's trap. It is. It's when you compare someone yourself to someone physically, financially, relationally, whatever it is, that's foolish foolishness. You are to carry your own load. We're going to look at that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Paul's writing about this. He says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Take a look at this. Each one should test their own actions. One of the things that I love about the Christian faith is that it's constantly calling us to deeper practices of transformation. In other words, we're not supposed to be the people that we are today five years from now. I mean, this is why I say all the time, you are not who you are. You are who you are becoming. As we point our feet towards Jesus and take steps towards him, we're becoming more like him. We have greater peace in our life, a greater joy. There's a more winsomeness to ourselves. We're not wandering around like maniacs, fearful of every circumstance. But if you point your life away from God, then what happens ultimately is that there are consequences for that as well. And our, our, our story as followers of Jesus is that we don't look to other people to test our spiritual lives. Each one should test their own actions. I've constantly got to examine myself and I do it all the time. Mike, what kind of leader are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of father are you? And I'm asking this because I have to test myself. Other people can challenge me and they can do those things, but I promise you, I'm testing myself harder than everyone else around me. And you should too, because only you really know your weaknesses and your strengths. And only you know the things that are going on inside your heart. You have to test yourself. Why? Because God wants you to become something different than what you are right now. He loves you where you are. If you're not a Christian, by the way, and you're in the room, you need to know part of your block right now to taking that next step toward Jesus is you feel like you're unworthy. You feel like there's a part of you that's like, you know, you don't know what I was doing last night, Saturday. And I, and I don't care. But, but here's, here's, here's what I do care about. I don't care about what you're doing now. I care about you pointing your feet towards Jesus and taking next steps towards him. This will be a church that no matter where you come from, we will love you. And then we will direct you towards Jesus. That's what the church is. We'll talk more about that in just a little while. But each one should test their own actions. Watch, watch this. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. So often pride is given a bad reputation inside a Christian world. But here, Paul is literally saying, you can take pride in yourself. But what kind of pride? There's a good pride and a bad pride, right? So I have um, made it my life's ambition to break generational patterns in my family. Growing up in an abusive, uh, violent father, uh, and honestly, I, I don't think the violence, the physical violence was nearly as bad as the mental stuff that he would say and, and do in the way that he modeled for us. But I grew up and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be that guy. And I've changed that in my family. My kids are starting to get older. They're walking a totally different path. They're dialed into Jesus. It's an amazing thing. I've been very grateful for that. And I take pride in that, right? But the, the way that we take pride, and this is one of my great fears, is that when I get to the end of my life and I've done what I've done, that I'll think to myself, I didn't do everything that I could possibly do to be the best dad, to be the best pastor, to be the best leader, 
to be the best husband. I didn't do everything I could. You see, because for me, what I try to do is do that. No one does that perfectly. I don't either. But I try to do everything I can do because here's what helps me mentally. It helps me to know I've done everything that I can possibly do in this given circumstances. And if it doesn't work out, then I know that it's not God's will at that point. Do you know why? Because when we show up, God shows up, right? But sometimes when God shows up, he goes, man, you've done everything. Well done. Still not going in that direction. And if he does that, I have peace because I know that it's God's will that we're going to go a different direction, whatever it is. And I trust him that his will is better than my will. His ways are better than my ways, right? So you can take pride in yourself. And how do you take pride in yourself? Not thinking I'm awesome, I'm enough, everything's great, like I'm the best thing in the world. You take pride in yourself by saying, I've done everything that I could possibly do in this given situation. And I've, re- I've, I've released it and given it to God, right? Without, by the way, comparing yourself to someone else, because when you compare yourself to someone else, there's two outcomes that can happen. And both of them are deleterious. Both of them are negative. On the one hand, you have, on the one hand, you have uh, comparing yourself to somebody who's better than you, and you constantly walk around with a low-grade kind of shame. Like, I'm not as great as she is. I'm not as pretty as she is. I'm not as strong as he is. I'm not as successful as they are. Whatever it is. Then you can flip that whole narrative around and go to the other direction. And then you compare yourself to people who are weaker than you or don't have as much as you. And you go, look how great I am. And now you're filled with the wrong kind of pride. And that is the pride that says I'm better than someone else's. We don't compare ourselves. It's a trap that ultimately Satan will just pull us into. So without comparing ourselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. There will always be people who have more and always people who have less. But our job is not to try to have more necessarily or try to have less necessarily. Our job is to carry our own load. And what do we mean by that? It means that we show up and do the best that we possibly can. Do everything the Bible says as unto the Lord with the best of your heart, with the best of intentions, with the best of what's inside you. Do it to the best that you possibly can, right? Ultimately, our job is to carry our own load. That's what we, that's what we do as followers of Jesus. There's a principle that we talk about around here a lot. I want to bring it up again because I repeat things here constantly, these little sayings that we have here, because I think I want these things for like, like what I just did. You know, when we show up, God shows up. People know that now because we repeated it over and over again. I want these things in our hearts because every once in a while when you're going through life on a day-to-day basis, you'll need to remember something like this, right? One of those statements is, God, one of those statements is that uh, God, asks, God asks us for equal sacrifice, but not equal amounts. It's true. What God's called you to do is give out of what you have, but, but there will always be people who have more and some who have less. So he's asking for equal sacrifice, but not equal amounts. So here's how Kelly, my wife and I, we've done this, right? So there's people who have income levels like this in the church, right? So what you do for yourselves personally, individually, or as a, as a couple, is you walk right up to what's reasonable, the line of reasonability. You look at this line of what's reasonable and you say to yourself, this is, this is fairly easy for us to do. This is responsible, And then you just take this one more step, not 10 more steps, because that's irresponsible too. Take one more step and this faith, this distance right here between the line that's reasonable and where you you landed in your giving, your generosity, this is where God has to show up or it doesn't happen. So it's faith-based. That's why, again, no matter who you are and how much you have, we're asking you to take a step because everyone's reasonable number is going to be different. Everyone's trust number will be different, but we'll all be sacrificing. We'll be saying, I'm going to trust the Lord. But it's not going to be equal amounts. It never will be. There will always be some who have more than others. In fact, this concept of sacrifice when it comes to generosity 
Jesus praises it himself with a story that's just amazing. Jesus is talking to some disciples and he's recounting a story, an actual story that he had uh, one day in the temple where he comes across some givers. And these givers give all kinds of different amounts. But there is one giver that he chooses and says, this is extraordinary. Let's take a look at it. Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So let me talk about this first part. All right, so this first part would be uh, very public because in Judaism, uh, in the temple, the very front part, there was this large brass pot. And of course, they lived within the Roman Empire. And in Roman world, there wasn't a lot of paper money because paper wasn't a, it was a thing, but it wasn't, it was very expensive, it was very costly. And of course, the world in which they lived was very rough. It would degrade, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. So they would have copper they would have lead, they would have silver, they would have gold coins that represented the image of Caesar or the image of the, of the, of the um, reigning monarch of the day. And that's what was the money of the day. And so here's this copper pot. What would happen is, you know, the priest would say, all right, you guys come forward and aisle by aisle, they'd come forward. And so everyone knew what everyone gave. Why? It's a copper pot. And so when people brought lots of coins and they went, you know, everyone was like, baller. Okay, all right, this guy, look at, look at what they're doing. And then every once in a while, someone would drop something in and they'd be like, it's not good, right? That's what's happening in this story right here. Here it is. Many rich people threw in large amounts. They thought it was amazing. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Let's stop here for a second. Here's what I want you to know about her giving. Her giving actually was not going to move forward the mission of Jesus. It was not gonna move forward the mission of the temple at all. Her two copper coins would basically buy her like a piece of bread in the day. It was nothing. It didn't change the realities of God's ministry or the, the temple or of God's church at all. It was, in, in, in essence, it was frankly useless. But Jesus's response to these very small copper coins worth only a few cents was dramatic. Verse 43, he says, hey, come here, guys. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. To which everyone would have looked at Jesus and gone, what are you talking about? We've seen with our own eyes and heard with our own ears that there are some who've given dramatically. And then she pops in these two coins. What is that? It doesn't change the realities of the mission of Jesus or the reality of the temple. And Jesus responds to them, says, listen, she gave, they gave, the rich people gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. So, so, so for those who have a lot, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were being generous. And then she was someone who had very little and she was doing what she was supposed to do. And that was, she was supposed to sacrifice as well. But her sacrifice meant more to Jesus because as a percentage of her security, it meant more. It signified more because that day, all that she had was placed in the temple treasury. And so she literally had to leave and figure out how am I going to eat today? How am I going to eat tomorrow? Give us this day our daily bread. And that's what God has done over and over throughout history. He has blessed people and walked with them. We're going to show you how in a little while, because sometimes he takes from some and he gives to others. But she put in everything that she had. And that's what we're talking about. Every single one of us can do something. And it's not about what, what you don't have. It's about what you have. So if you've been blessed in a big way, then you were supposed to be generous in a big way. If you're just blessed in a small way and you're just trying to get by, I totally get that. My wife and I, when we first got married and uh, we lived in College Park um, 
And we lived across the street from Dub's Dread Country Club in a thousand square foot condominium for $550 a month. It was 1927. <laughs> and, and, and it was amazing because, you know, we, we had $60,000. This is 1993 when we graduated college. It's $60,000 in student loans. We had both gotten master's degrees. We were having to pay all that stuff off. And uh, what we did was we created margin. We started with margin. We're like, we have no margin, right? So when we, we got married, I was making $8 an hour uh, working at Florida Hospital Center for Psychiatry. And my wife was working uh, at Harcourt Brace, which is a textbook publishing company down by SeaWorld. She came home. We didn't have jobs almost like six weeks before we got married. I was a prize. And, uh, and, and, and when she came home, she brought a salary of $24,000 with her. And I thought, oh my God, we're rich. Like, how are we going to spend all that money? And, and then the bills came. And we we're like, oh, okay, that's how, right? Like, we, we, did, we just were young kids. We didn't know what we were doing. We had all of these bills and we consolidated them down. And you know what we did in that 550,000 square foot deal, $550 a month? We put a mattress in our bedroom on the ground. We didn't have a bed. We just put a mattress there. We had a drawer for some stuff that her mom had given to us. We had a card table that was in the living room. And a few years later, we bought a couch. That was it for six years. We paid off all of that debt within those six years. And we've never been in debt since, except for, you know, originally with a house, but not even with a house anymore. But we have always committed ourselves to doing this because we want to be ready when God says, hey, I want you to do this with your resources. And if the Lord said to us, I want you to empty out everything that you have to my purposes, we would empty out everything that we have for his purposes. Why? Here's why. Because I don't believe God's going to bless me just for this season. I believe he will continue to watch over me, continue to bless us. And the same thing's true for you guys. God doesn't bless you in one moment of your life and then that's it and walk away from you. He blesses you always. And you know who knew this? it's likely that she knew this better than those who had so much. Why? Because she put it all in and said, Jesus, God, I'll trust you with everything that I have. Paul writes this in verse 13. He says this, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be financial equality. The word equality translated here is a little bit different than it is maybe like in our world translated. But when he talks about here, he says, not that others might be relieved while you're hard pressed. When Paul comes to these churches, remember we talked about this week one, the reason why Paul is raising money is because Jerusalem is struggling. There's a famine that has swept through and Christians are dying of hunger. And so he's going to wealthy churches like the Corinthian church here, right? And the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches were notoriously poor, almost in the same condition as Jerusalem. And they showed up and gave dramatically. Why? Because they wanted to do good in the hearts of other people. They wanted to care for their brothers and sisters. And so he's like, listen, I don't want you to be destroyed by your giving. While, you know, while, well, not that others might be relieved while you're hard pressed. I don't want you to be hard pressed, but I, I know we have to relieve this, this, this thing in, in Jerusalem. I want you to trust God, but that there might be financial equality. Equality here does not mean that everyone has the same amount. That's never worked through history, Right. But what, what's true is that some will always have more than others, but the some who have more, those of us who have more, are to transfer that every once in a while to those who have less because it stems from our heart of love for our brothers and sisters. Not because somebody mandates it, but because it's what it means to be Christian, to love the world around us. And that's what we're supposed to do. First, starting with the church, first, starting with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
For some of you, you go, that's what I don't like right there, man. Hold on a second. That frustrates me. I made my money. I should be able to do with it whatever I want. Deuteronomy 8, 17 says this about that. You may say to yourself, my power, my strength, my degrees, my education, my background, my talent, my grinding harder than everyone else, all of that, all of that has produced this wealth for me. I'm the reason why I am successful. And the problem with lies, good lies, is that they're covered with some truth. And this is one of those nuanced lies, this idea that he's pushing back on right here, because it's true that you worked harder sometimes. It's true that you might have a specialized, I mean, if you're a vascular surgeon, you can do things that none of us can do. So you get paid more for that. I totally get that. That's absolutely true. But for us, this person thinking about this like this is just stopping at the surface and not realizing that what's behind your steady hand and your good eyes and your spatial coordination as a surgeon is that God made you that way. He orchestrated your mind and your heart and your ability. I mean, so many people cut open a body and they just fall down. You were like, interesting. Little weird, bro. But, 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 but you thought it was interesting and you did this thing. Watch this. You say to yourself, my power, my strength, my hands have produced this well for me. Sure, partly. But remember the Lord your God. All through the Old Testament, he's reminding believers, remember me, remember me. When he brought Israel into the promised land, which was a land of milk and honey, it was a place of great prosperity. He said, once you've built your beautiful houses, once you've built your beautiful gardens, remember me, remember me. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Ultimately, all good things come from God. And so at best, as followers of Jesus, what we recognize is we are stewards of what God has, not owners of what God has. But everything that we have is to be leveraged for the purposes of God so that others may be relieved and others may be healed. Watch this. Right after I had my baby, I felt completely broken and very just stripped of support and even my identity. It's like, who am I? What happened? What's going on? And now I'm a mother. I knew that I needed to figure out how to get back with God. My name is Tammy Jo Fashion, and I have been going to Grace since January 2022, and I attend the Oviedo campus. I had just had a baby. I found myself um, very scared in that relationship, and I didn't uh, have a home necessarily to go to. I didn't have my parents, and I actually had a really good friend of mine call me, and she actually attends Grace, and she was like, um, I have a room for you if you need if you need it, and five days, maybe three days later, I called her, and I was like, I need that room, and she came up and got me. And I left. I felt completely broken, completely embarrassed, and um, ashamed. But when I first came to Grace, no one looked at me like, like I did. You know, no one saw that I was full of shame. They were just like, 
oh, hi, <laughs> welcome, welcome to Grace, and accepted me for who I was, where I was. I had a really good talk with Pastor Clint and it really had me hold myself accountable for my relationship with God. And from there, um, I knew that I could have responsibility for my life and for my choices moving forward. My faith was really strong. I knew that God was really moving in my life. I knew that he was doing this. I knew that he was protecting me and keeping me safe and that as long as I kept saying yes, <laughs> that he was going to provide for me. So I found myself in a situation where I needed immediate funds to get an apartment. I didn't really have anybody to ask, and my friend suggested that I contact the Benevolence Program at Grace. So I did, and immediately I got a phone call from someone, and as I was sharing, it was just, it, it was like I called my dad you know, and which was something that I just really needed. I needed like the parental figure, someone, you know, like, oh, I got myself in a mess. <laughs> I need to call my dad and I don't have a dad to call or anyone. And through grace, I was able to move into that apartment and have a place that's clean and safe and secure for me and my little child. And that really moved me. I've never been um, a recipient of something like that happening. Amy, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God was cultivating a relationship with me this whole time. Um, he was showing me that it is all Him. And when you finally realize that, when you when you have that relationship with God, that's exactly what the good initiative actually is and actually looks like. Through the good initiative and through all of the the outlets that Grace is providing, I can't imagine what just a little bit more more space, more room, more counseling is going to do for this community because generosity from grace changed my life. One of my favorite things uh, about what she said was that when she came to grace, she had obviously had a child um, uh, without a, well, with a father, but not a father involved. And so, uh, well, with, he's involved, but he wasn't there. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, I think she was expecting like a lot of people do when, they, when she walks in the church just to be filled with condemnation from the church. I want us to build something different, a church that is based and continues in the scriptures and trust in the Lord only, but at the same time is deeply compassionate for those who call themselves sinners and who are lost. And it requires all of us to do that. It's not just me, it's you when they walk through the doors that no matter what background they come from, what we're gonna do is the same thing we do with everyone else. And that is we're gonna accept them and love them where they are. And then we're gonna point their feet towards Jesus and let him make the transformation and changes that are happening. And the good news is I hear about this all the time. 
one of our children's directors sent me this message. Someone just told me the best thing about grace, and it totally captures the spirit of who we are. Quote, grace thinks of you as family before you are ready to think of them as family. End quote. Isn't that great? That's exactly what we want to be. Those are the types of people that we want to be. There's been a principle that has undergirded this idea for a long time, and it's the principle that the strong protect the weak. We are always realizing that people come to the church, and they come from two separate categories of brokenness. One is the set of brokenness that comes from their own choices that they've made that were foolish or unwise and self-destructive, and they've harmed their own life as a result of that. Still, even in a situation like that, our job is to walk with them in compassion and to say there is a better way for you. There is a bigger hope for you. There's a new life for you. And then the other side of it is not those who have made the personal decisions, but that others have made the decision for them, that they were going to be brutal to them, brutalize them, destroyed them. It was hard for them. And now they're just living in the ashes and the, and the, and the consequences of a relationship like that. But no matter where your background is, especially if you're not super religious in the room right now, no matter what your background is, our desire is for you to know Jesus because we truly deeply believe that he is the solution to your problem. It doesn't mean, and we're not making false promises, it doesn't mean that you're never gonna struggle again. It doesn't mean you're not gonna go through hard things. But what it means ultimately is that he will walk through that with you. You are never alone. One of the heartbreaking things about what she said was, I didn't have a father to turn to. The church was that father for her, and the church is the father for many who come. That's who and what we should be. The, pro- the strong protect the weak. Verse 14 shows an example of this in terms of generosity. At the present time, your plenty, the wealth that you have, will supply what they need, the other churches, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Let's talk about this again. Okay, so he, remember, he's talking about the churches that have a lot, this is the Corinthian church. And he's talking about the churches that don't have much that are going through famine. Well, this is exactly the way our church works today, right? Six years, seven years ago, I gathered 500 people together and we basically sacrificed so we could get this building that you guys who have come in the last seven years sitting in are enjoying the blessings of, right? It was their faithfulness to do that. Well, right now, Oviedo is 550, 600 people. They're ready for their own facility. And I can tell you, what are the advantages of facilities? Because some people are like, I don't like buildings. Buildings are not a thing. Well, you live in a house, right? I mean, you can have a tent, bro. Like, go live in a tent and then be, like, real with your beliefs. You know, what, what, what does it do? Buildings, they simply allow us to have a visible presence in the community seven days a week. And seven days a week, there are people in this building doing ministry seven days a week. There's not one day where people aren't doing something. And so when you're in a high school like these guys are, like we were, or in a junior high school like these guys are, or middle school or, or elementary school, they disappear for six days a week. When we were 550 people, now we've got several thousand people that just attend this campus alone. God was able to open more seats, more opportunities. We've seen more people grow in their relationship with God. We've seen salvations at a rate higher than when we were at Edgewater High School. Why? Because there's more opportunity to reach more people. Same thing's true for them. We want to introduce more people in the Winter Springs and Oviedo area, which I grew up in, to Jesus. And there are plenty that don't know Christ there. At the present time, your wealth, our wealth, will supply what they need so that in turn, watch this, so that in turn, their plenty, their wealth one day will supply what you need. What will happen is down the road when we plant another church, because people always ask me, they always ask me, I know you're worried about this. What happens when the church gets too big? Well, takes 500 people from here and send them out to Wakaiva or wherever you come from. Anybody from Wakaiva? All right, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll go out there or somewhere. But you know what will happen? Oviedo will contribute to that. Orlando will contribute to that. And it'll be easier on all of us because we have more and we're able to give more. It's what we do. There are plenty, we'll supply what you need. The goal is equality. 
Because the strong protect the weak. Romans 15.1 says this, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Strong protect the weak. But look at this, and not just please ourselves. So when you're strong, ladies and gentlemen, like when you're strong, you have relational strength, you have financial strength, you have emotional strength, you have, you have business strength, whatever your strength is. You don't just use that to please yourself. You don't just take all the benefits from that and just lavish them on your own life. Our job is to be there for people who don't have what we have. And not to please ourselves, each one of us should please our neighbors for their good. Watch this, to build them up. Imagine if everybody, all of us, were relating to other people in such a way that when we walked away from that conversation, they were built up, they were encouraged. They were like, yes, I can see a more beautiful story of Jesus. But for the past, especially for the past 20, 30 years in America, we've seen Christians do nothing but scream at people about morality. You know what Jesus never did? He never screamed at people about morality that didn't know Christ, ever, not once. I need you to understand that because our goal is not better behavior, it's transformed hearts. It's surrender, not better behavior. And that's one of the obstacles to some of us when it comes to meeting people who are sinners. We go, oh, look at the terrible things they're doing. Of course they're doing terrible things. They're sinners. That's the definition, right? But our job, watch this, is not just to please ourselves in our own ways. I've always done it this way. It's what I'm gonna do. But it's to build them up. And you know the way that we do that is the same way that Jesus did it, surrendering our life, giving our hearts, and sacrificing for the cause. That's what he did. Here's how this whole thing ends. Verse 15 says it like this. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Remember I said the equality thing is not exactly the way that we talk about it today. In the Bible, equality is different because in this situation, it's talking about generosity. And one of the ways it's basically talking about this is that there will always be people who have more and some who have less, always, because of the things that we've just mentioned. Talents, abilities, backgrounds, experiences, opportunities, all those things, right? But the one who gathered much did not have too much. In America, we believe there is no such thing as too much, okay? The Bible clearly says there is, right? There is too much. But what is too much? What is, what is the absolute number that is too much? Is a billion dollars too much for someone? They go, oh, yeah, that's too much. Is 100 million? Is $10 million too much for someone? Is $2.5 million too much? You're like, whoa, getting closer to my savings. Two point, is 2.5, which you're doing well, bro. $2.5 million, 2.5, is that too much? Is it 400,000? Is it 10,000? Well, let me show you how the Bible defines it. It's not an absolute number. So you might be a Walton who owns Walmart and you might have 23 billion. Please tithe to our church. But if you're that person, watch this, you might have problems with it, but you also might not. Watch this. The one who gathered too much, gathered much, did not have too much, right? So what is too much? Here's what too much is. Too much is when you can't let it go. When you hold on to it, and you're not willing to release it for what God's purposes are. You know what that means? For some of you, that's $1,000. You're like, this is my last $1,000. That's all I have left. You've taken all your hope and you put it on $1,000 instead of the king of the universe. Too much is when we won't let it go for God's purposes because we're only stewards, we're not owners. And the one who gathered, too, gathered little did not have too little. So when those can't make their bills, they can't feed their families. 
church, we're talking about people in the church, followers, and not just in this church, but the church. When they have too little, the strong protect the weak. That's what we do. Why? Because our job is to build people up. Our job is to build people up, point their feet towards Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit change their lives. You and I can't change a person, but what we can do is point them in the direction by giving them a more beautiful story to believe in. And the story that we have, Christians, is the best story in all of the world. God has forgiven your sins, opened eternal life to you, and blessed you in this world. What is the better story? Our job is to point them in that direction, let the Holy Spirit change their lives, and we will be builders of people. Amen? Amen.